as a timely response to chaos. Wednesdays with Wolf is a contemplative podcast for wisdom, featuring thought-provoking conversations between Reverend Gola Wolf Richards and Marie Sola. Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesdays with Wolf. Hello, everybody. And here we are again with some contemplative conversation for some contemplative listening. And I hope that you've been enjoying this podcast so far and that it's making you think. That would be wonderful. Thank you very much, everyone. And I know it makes me think. So I, I, I feel that I'm a better person for doing this with Wolf because You're I'm kind. learning all the time. And, and I find that I now catch myself when I'm acting in immature fashion, Wolf. Bless your heart, Marie. Bless your heart. I still do it, but at no, least no, I knew no, no. I did it afterwards. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like, oops. And, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, for the listeners, Wolf and I don't talk, don't discuss what the topic's going to be before we start the podcast. Mm -hmm. So Wolf has like no idea what I'm going to pull out of my sleeve or what's going to come out of my mouth. So this is very spontaneous. And oftentimes, I don't know until uh, a little while before the podcast or the day off. So today it was really interesting because I was on my way home from some errands and I was thinking in the car, you know, what, what do I want to talk about tonight with Wolf? And I mean, sometimes there are things that are just so prevalent in the news or something. It's, it's just kind of a no brainer, but I was like, what is it that I want to talk about? And so I was driving home and I was thinking about as a human being, knowing if you're on the right path, right? And by that, I don't mean necessarily it could be your career. I mean, it's all of that tied together. Like, are you on the right path as an individual and in right relationship as you're moving through the world? And I got home and I said to my husband, you know, I'm recording with Wolf tonight. And I was thinking about what the topic is. And he said to me, Marie, you should talk about how do you know when you're on the right path? And I thought, well, bingo, I guess I'm on the right path with this topic. So, <laughs> so I just wanted to give you a little back on that because of the fact that, you know, I know a lot of times I, I do another podcast and I prepare for it and I write questions out. You know, it's more of an in interview format. And so I'm sending that back and forth to the person I'm interviewing. But this is really spontaneous with Wolf and I. So um, that's that's something that's a little bit different for me anyway. So anywho, mm -hmm. with all of that being said, Wolf, I'd like to talk to you about that as, as individuals, you know, we, we hear a lot about follow your path, be on the right path. And I think a lot of times people are using that in terms of their, as I mentioned before, their careers, but to me, it's about more than that. It's about the path of the way that you're living your life. So first of all, I'd like to just ask you that question. How, how do we know if we're walking down the right road? You know what, Marie, that's a, um, it's interesting because if you put that question um, forward with regarding a particular situation, am I on the right path, right? If I'm traveling from one city to the other, right? So then it's a matter of something that people would find very practical. I'm on the proper highway or I am not. 
am I on the right path, right? If I, with regard to finding something in the house, or you're getting hotter, you're getting hotter, right? Or you're cold, you're cold, as as if we were in a game and helping someone to find something that they're searching for. In a metaphorical sense, so now we go away from the practical, in terms of a, a practical, um, conventional, ordinary ways of thinking of that. In a metaphorical sense, it's often associated with, am I appropriately aligned with what is divine? Am I appropriately following uh, what people, many people refer to as God's will? Am I walking in wisdom's way, right? Have I learned, right, how to guide myself such that I am exemplifying, right, the best that can be in my character? Am I on the way to evolving the type of humanity in myself such that I can say that I am affecting life in the most beautiful way possible? So am I on the right path? So certain practical questions, obviously you're on the right path or not. I'm often on the right wrong path when it comes to highway. I'm so bad in terms of judgment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very lucky to find my way home. That's that <laughs> I'm not I'm not making a joke about that. It has often been that I've passed my home. Um and, uh, amazing. But nonetheless, when it comes to us trying to find the right path, there's a uh, problem that comes up with regard to what is the status of my psychology? Because if I am looking to find that answer, am I on the right path? And I'm doing it from the psychology of my less mature self, then I can discern or decide that the right path has to do with something that really is so subjective, so personal to me, that I can elevate and identify my right path with the godly path, erroneously. I can say that uh, it is right for me to be biased against this person, those people, right? Because that's the best I can do without my knowing it, because my psychology is immature. And then I can wrongfully identify or forgive myself, right? And say that I am being holy. I am identified with holy. I am... Um, following the right divine road, right? And it really is predicated on the fact that my vision itself, right, is too narrow to see broadly, right, inclusively, comprehensively. And so, am I on the right path then is a question that everyone should have. But the first reference with regards to that is, what's the status of the vision that you have for discerning what path you are on? What's the status of your vision? And if your emotions dominate your logicality, then you're not apt to see the right road in the sense that it could bring about harmony right, between all of the inherent conflict that exists in the world. If there's an appropriate relationship between your passions, your emotions, right, and your ability to be logical, then it's quite uh, likely that you are on the right path right, to coming into concord with how heaven and earth, as it might be said, right? Um, how the cosmic relationship between opposites establishes eternal balance. So it could be a bit of a conundrum, really. It could be. It, it, it could it, be. It, it, 
you know, as as you were talking about that, I was thinking, okay, so I'm coming from that from the standpoint of what I hope is logical. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any indicators or signs, and I'm not talking about like cosmic signs from the universe, although if there are some, you can add those in, but are there any indicators within ourselves that we should be listening to mm-hmm. when we are on, um, are on a mission or are going someplace and questioning if what if the path we're on is the correct path? Are there are things that will come up within ourselves, questions we might have, those things that just kind of knock at the door at three in the morning mm-hmm. and make you think like, oh man, should I have done that? Or should I do this? Are, are there Certainly. indicators uh, that way for, let's say, the average human? Uh, absolutely. We have some classic adages um, that are used to help us orient ourselves to, are we on the right path? For instance, love thy neighbor as thyself. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. So, if I were wanting to find out, um, to orient myself and find out what spirit what orientation am I acting out of, right, vis-a-vis my relationship to everything else? I can ask, does my behavior reflect loving my neighbor in the same way that I would want my neighbor to be loving, respectful of me? Am I doing unto others? And this doesn't simply mean people or to the planet, right? Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. If I take account of the fact that in terms of what nature does to me for me, right? The gift is so huge. The air I breathe, the water that I drink, the circumstances that come to me, the people, the information to study, right? The food that I have, the warmth that I have, the opportunities that I have to become a better human being day by day, right? so long as I'm willing, so long as I'm willing to work to be that way. The gifts are so many, so that if I were to then say, in terms of it having been done to me, that such wealth of opportunity to be a better human is there, what am I doing in response to that, right? Am I measuring up to what life has given me in terms of opportunity to be a better person? It's often difficult because If we put people in very compromised circumstances, it's understandable that they would say, I haven't been given much. I'm impoverished. So therefore, my being indulgent of myself and being angry, that's understandable, right? They would say for themselves. And with sympathy, we should say for them too. With sympathy, that I can understand how you'd be more inclined to be indulgent with yourself, right? Because you're impoverished, because you're suffering because of any number of things that can happen. And we should rightfully have tremendous indulgence, right, with regard to understanding them. Yet on the other side, we're privileged, those of us who are privileged to understand that if I have the opportunity, if I'm strong enough to respond in a manner that shows I can even take advantage of being my best self when I'm confronted with very difficult circumstances, 
that's what you have exemplified um, in the biblical tradition with Christ saying, God forgive them. They know not what they do. Um, being put to death, but still having the wherewithal to be centered enough to understand that were it to be that you were in the other st- uh, others, the stead of the other people uh, standing in their shoes, right? For me to be that um, compromise, that damage, such that I would put another person to death who was innocent, it would have to be that I'm deformed in some way or another. So therefore, God forgive them. They know not what they do. So our opportunity to adjust ourselves in terms of what path am I on? comes from being ethical. So so if you maintain a posture that's totally subjective, you won't find it. So you have to bring in the outside of yourself in order to get a proper adjustment on yourself. Uh, Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. Love thy neighbor as you would have them to love you. It's really a, a check and balance of sorts to see if what you're doing is in the best interest of all or most, right? In in terms of that, and yes, other than yourself, other than yourself, yourself. right? But exactly, going outside of yourself first, exactly. So you're you're so that really comes back to something that we've talked about and you've talked about, really, um, to some extent, in just about every podcast. It's it's love thy neighbor as thyself. We've talked about that a lot, and that's also about empathy. Yes. Right. Be having empathy and having compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of that ties into things we've talked about. And something else when when you were just talking that came to mind was, you know, if you take one step in the right direction, the universe will take two mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm wondering within that context, you know, if you're if you're if you are doing the right thing, if you are on that quote-unquote right path in right relationship, is it accurate to say that people and opportunities will will show up in your life that help you to move further in that direction? I would say as a general rule, yes, that's so. Now, the issue would be whether you recognize the help. It could be, right, the, and it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that most often it, the case is, right, that the information, information that could help us to adjust ourselves is always there. And it's whether I'm able to recognize it. Have I cultivated how I see such that I can see better? Because if I get, can get into that trend, that dynamic that is ever-evolving, becoming broader, more deeply involved, widely involved with the world, then for sure I'm going to see, right? Even when it would seem like it's going to be precluded, that there's no opportunity to see, I'm going to see anyhow. So if I change my heart, I have a change of heart, um, which is a kind of a classic way of understanding someone reaching that point at which, right, they're able to make a big change, um, um, particularly from something that's quite clearly negative to something positive. I have a change of heart. 
the other person that I might be mistreating becomes my opportunity for seeing better. But here, seeing has to be understood as the fact that I can feel for you is a part of what it means for me to see better, right? But that if I'm only seeing subjectively in a narrow self-involved way, in the philosophic, spiritual sense, the ideal, I don't see unless I can feel for the other. So to the extent that my vision, my sense of right, right, is limited to me, right, I'm not doing the ideal because nature is comprehensive. We're supported by comprehensive, all-inclusive relationships. That's in the backdrop of every one of our lives. No matter if we're good people, so to speak, bad people, so to speak, there's a comprehensive, totally, eternally interrelated status in the cosmos behind all of our lives, behind every breath we take. So if we were to imitate, to say, I owe it to the universe in terms of its integration, to do a little bit more of the universe's way, right, day by day, then I have to be expanding my heart and I'm increasing my decisiveness. It's not simply that I feel and I care for everybody, but I also know what to do, right, in terms of what can be done at the moment? How am I affecting things at the moment? And what must I be satisfied? Well, this is as much as I can do today, but tomorrow I'll do better. It's always expanding and living to expand. Wolf, it's interesting to me that as humans, how hard it is sometimes for us to empathize with mm-hmm. others that mm-hmm. think differently, look differently, act differently. Certainly. And I'm sure I've done it. You know, I, I try not to, but it's, you know, when we look at things through our own filter of the way that we've been brought up or the way that, you know, our world is, and we just can't see outside of that. And we have no patience for people that are different than us, different thought processes, different religions, different political views. I mean, we see that a lot with political views now, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, I'm, I'm just always amazed that, that we can't step back and look at another person and say, this is another living, breathing human being with thoughts and feelings and family. And, and I, I need to consider that they're just as worthy of breathing the air as I am, you know? And what is it, Wolf, in, I don't know if it's human nature, or what is it that makes that difficult? Well, you, you've got a, um, um, an interesting, simple, but yet at the same time complex uh, problem there, Marie. Let's think of this simple part of it. We will always revert to Conceivably, we can always revert to an infantile psychology. So therefore, I identify with my mommy, right? My daddy, my house, my family, whatever is familiar. And anything outside that context is other, right? And we would understand that. Uh, Practically everyone's seen the baby and know the, the little bit of angst we carry in terms of the child being introduced to strangers and the shyness that can come up because You're not a part of the uh, familiar network that I live in, right? So all of us can have that. And so that's quite innocent, right? And we understand it. And we're patient with it when it's in the form of a child. We have different expectations when it comes to an adult. And we think you should have gotten over that. 
Yet, when we look at history, we can see, no, all of the slaughter that we see of people simply because they are otherized, right? Uh, It is completely uh, a part of human history at every step of human history, that we have been infantile. Some have elevated themselves, been lucky enough to be non-average, right, and see in ways to say, we are warring with others because we haven't won the war over our ignorance within ourselves. We have not evolved within ourselves as individuals, right, beyond being infantile or adolescent at best. Otherwise, we would not be having these wars with these other people, right? So that's a rare perspective, right? It has to become deliberately studied. The wherewithal within us to see that if it were to be, that we could rise to, again, back to those two familiar adages, love thy neighbor as thyself, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. You'd have world peace breaking out all over the place. And then let's go to something that makes it a little bit more complex. When I am to love someone else and they are liars, ooh, um, I am to love someone who is a liar. I'm some to love someone who is involved in undercutting me, undercutting people that they perceive to be of my kind. Am I to love them? We have to think then in terms of the various ways and what uh, meanings that should appertain to love. Part of loving can be simply to understand how they are handicapped. That it is true, humans can have psychology that's so corrupted, so handicapped, that they really aren't responsible anymore, right, for holiness, for sanity. We can become so sick that we die from various diseases. That same truth about our physicality, that the physical person can catch a cold and the cold can turn into pneumonia and so forth and so on, That same susceptibility in a physical way is also true spiritually. So we can have people who are absolutely waylaid, handicapped, right? Destroyed, right? Soulless, right? Uh, Spirits devoured by what we call evil, right? Wherein they have lost their capacity to be identified with other. So if I am loving, it doesn't mean that I go up and I cherish you, right? For how you're behaving, right? It would mean that I can have enough objectivity to understand that your condition is such that it's right for me to think of you as unhealthy and perhaps there but for fortune go I. Wolf, you know, it's interesting because I've found that personally, um, you know, a lot of times if you're open to people, if you're open to having conversations with people who think differently than you. So I have, for instance, friends that uh, think very different, uh, differently than I do from a political standpoint. Mm-hmm. And yet we can sit down and have uh, very respectful conversations with one another mm-hmm. where, you know, uh, we're observing, we're listening, we're giving each other space to talk. And when that happens, I find 98% of the time that we actually have more in common 
than one would think on the surface. Mm-hmm. It's just we don't necessarily agree on how to get there. I, I fully understand, Marie. I'm going to make it a little bit more um, complex, if you would. When we sit down with people that are um, ostensibly different than us, right, are, are different from us in topical ways different from, the, from us, they belong to different groups, they have a different appearance, uh, they speak a different language, so forth and so on. Um, we have to remember, some people have cultivated, and many times it's not even conscious, the ability not to put, to not put an emphasis on adversarialism, to not emphasize difference, right? So if I don't emphasize how I am different from you, then I can relax into how I might be able then to find how I have commonality with you because it's not my habit to emphasize difference. When you go through certain periods in history or certain stages of cultural development, right, depending on what group you're in, you can find that it's extremely common for people to put heavy emphasis on differences, heavy, heavy emphasis on differences, such that the difference can constitute a way of saying your humanity or the act, the fact of your being human at all, right, is different from me entirely in terms of my emphasis on difference. I will see your difference as diminishing your humanity. I then don't have to care for you in the way that I care for myself because I have, um, I am suffering from, my way of saying it, an overemphasis on difference. So, very often we don't think that there's an alternative. If I were going to look for the sameness, right, um, um, between myself and another, but my habit is to look at our differences, it's going to be very hard for me to let go of my focus on we're different colors. We're in a different context, and I'm searching for what's your political orientation so that I can um, events show that habit I've otherwise developed of making some extreme distinction, some distance between myself and you. So breaking the habit of seeing ourselves as different than, right, becomes a psychological problem for people to, you can't fix it unless you become aware of it, that the reason why there's such distance is because you're putting an overemphasis on a difference. Now let's make it more complex. If the difference is someone is violent, then I'm saying, I'm going to get different. I'm going to get away from you because you're a violent person. But how do I maintain a sense of identity with you, even though I'm otherwise going to take every opportunity to get distant from you because you're violent? That's when it's called upon for us to understand that our psychology, the spirit of what it means to be human beings, are that we can become disabled in psychological senses and spiritual senses in the same way that we physically can become disabled. So that I can know if I had to be quarantined from somebody else um, because of a physical ailment, I haven't lost my humanity, nor does the other individual understand I've lost my humanity but it might be practical and necessary for us to have some kind of boundary 
established between us because I have something that's dangerous, right? Contagious, right? And so therefore we need this boundary. For us to focus and learn these things about human nature, human development, human psychology, it would have to become a primary focus. It's pretty obvious. Why is it that we haven't mastered all of these um, frailties, these predicaments that can come up that have caused the slaughter of countless numbers of people forever? It's because it's not our major focus. So if you're not focusing on how to educate for the ups and downs in human nature, which affect our perspectives, then it means you are by habit causing yourself to be in deficit of the wisdom necessary to have conflict resolution as a standard in human relations. If you are an individual who is a bit more mature on the scale of conflict resolution, let's just say. Okay. You know, wanting, uh, that's something that you've studied, you think about it, you're open to other, you're open to people even if they are other than, and you're confronted with somebody who is dismissive of you Mm -hmm. because you are other than them, whether Mm -hmm. it's because of your politics or the color of your skin or your sexual orientation, whatever reason that they want to paint you as another, right? Yes. Is there a way... um, that we can help to bridge that in terms of conflict resolution. So you're talking to somebody that's very, you know, not only are they dismissing you, but they they have their walls up. Like they, they don't want to hear anything that you have to say. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to break those walls down a bit? Is there a way to be effective to help that person to see maybe or think or look at things differently. Let's just say look at things differently. Or or do we just say, yeah, no, just not even going to waste my energy? Okay. I'm going to say absolutely yes to the first. And the reason I'm going to say that is that the universe is um, a world of change. And so we don't have anything in the universe, right, that isn't subject to change. So everything by some means is subject to change, right, in the universe. So um, the direction then would become the issue. Are they changing in a direction that would be positive? If they're not, as far as the universe is concerned, then they're changing in a direction that is less than positive, right? So one or the other. So I take your question to be, is there something I can do to help someone to be more positive? And that would be for me, um, stating that I don't want to reinforce your negativity. So I will help you to be positive by love thy neighbor as thyself, right? I will have in my heart, right, um, a regard that says that I could see myself being stuck in your situation. I could identify with that, even though I might think I'm not going to fall that low. I have to think conceivably, right, I could. I have to think that your condition, if I'm really grown, right, then all of the human condition is my condition in potential. I'm showing, right, one aspect of it, that being I'm not down in the gutter, but I have sympathy. I identify with the fact that as a human being, we are subject to being in the gutter. So therefore, I will not lose my compassion for you, even though you are objectionable. 
So I will stand back, yet at the same time have sympathy. I would consider that in terms of how nature evolves things. I would pin my hope to the fact that if I can be my best, even when you are being your worst, I still constitute a potential for you or others like you to evolve one bit at a time within nature's time. And can that also be done in chance encounters, right? Because it's one thing if it's somebody you're familiar with, but I think about I think about just, um, you know, you're out, you're out and about, you're doing an errand, you run into somebody and just the way you interact with them might give them a different view of somebody like you that they consider another. Absolutely so. It's potential. Yet at the same time, we have to be prepared that all of the potentials in human nature, right, uh, conceivably can be out there in that Times Square. I remember going through Times Square as a kid um, and um, <laughs> all the people around and you'd think, what kind of spirits are parading about right here? And uh, you'd have to come up with every kind of spirit. And of course, if you were in Times Square back then, you would know every kind of spirit was yeah. definitely there. The blessed and the bedeviled. So consequently, it's interesting to know, here's the human condition. Some of us can be bereft of the appearances of ideal humanity. That is one of the things we can suffer. Like any illness, we can suffer that. If I understand, then what you need is for me to maintain my compassion, or rather, what nature needs for me to maintain my role in concord with creativity. I can help to evolve the tendency for humans to fall into hell, right? If I will make sure that I'm consciously trying to keep my tendency elevated uh, in a more heavenly direction, if you would, uh, to be uh, an enactment of uh, godliness, right? Love thy neighbor as thyself. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. Um, there but for fortune go I. It's important to maintain. Uh, courtesy, to know that some kindness isn't overtly expressed. It can be held within my inward understanding. I can pass you, pass many people, pass most people, of course, and never meet them. Riding around in the subways um, when I was young, and I, of course, I didn't meet those people, right? So most of the people I passed up, if they were going to be affected by me in any way, it was my attitude. So the subtle attitude that I carried, right, I always considered to be something that counted. So if in that day I prayed for the people that were on the other side of the train, right? Beautiful. If I did not find that I yielded to a sense of adversarialism, right? With anyone because they had a different language, a different appearance, right? Beautiful, right? So my attitude was constantly in the um, mode of the evolving tendencies toward integration, replicating what the universe does, where every part of itself is integrated with every other part of itself. Well, I've always found, you know, it's funny you were giving that analogy of walking through Times Square, which is definitely just, there are people everywhere. Well, maybe not right now because of COVID, but I've found that oftentimes 
you know, we can walk around and just look right past people or through people like they're not even there or because maybe we don't feel that they're worth looking at as humans. I have found in my life that if you look at people, connect with people, smile, let them know that you see them that you actually see them. I mean, I see this with homeless people a lot of times. People just step right over them and pretend they're not there. Mm-hmm. You sit down, you turn, you look, you smile, you say hello. I mean, people, that connection is innate in us. And so when you were talking about, you know, walking through Times Square, I was thinking about that, just looking at people and letting them know that you see them mm-hmm. can even it feels to me like that can spark a change within the way that people relate to one another. It's certainly important, Marie, I feel, um, for us to have faith in that. That that, that the uh, think of the universe as not being ignorant and that what we consider to be subtle, right, does not mean powerless. That it's an erroneous tendency we have to think that subtlety is powerless. Uh, Principles that run the universe are quite subtle, right? Yet everything that's powerful, everything that has magnitude, or it is predicated on that simplicity, that that subtlety. So yes, it's important to have faith in the, though it be subtle, right? It can also be profound in terms of its effect on life. And for us to play our seemingly little part can be a dramatic part in terms of how history gets uh, converted, moving from less than to what we will want more of. Well, it can't hurt, right? It can't hurt anything to go out and be kind. And, you know, I know, okay, Pollyanna, like I said, you know, where's my, where's my unicorn? My unicorn's parked in the driveway and it gets really good gas mileage. (laughs) However, I I really, you know, there's not a person I haven't like see that I don't want to talk to because I just love people. I really Mm -hmm. love people. And even let's go to the obverse situation, Marie, that if it were to be that you noticed a group of people and uh, if your attitude was inviting, right, the kindness was inviting and they didn't have the capacity to respond in concert with that that they would take advantage of it, then we would know I am on a practical basis, all right, doing squelching what would otherwise be my civil tendency. Because here I know I might be inviting your lack of civil abilities, and that's also respectful of you. Mm-hmm. I don't want to engage you in something that you couldn't handle. Follow? So not every occasion is a place where you would smile because the fear might be justified. But where we can, right, we always want to. Exactly, yeah. So, Wolf, we have our work cut out for us, do we not? Not you and I, humanity. I mean, us too, I suppose. All of us, collectively. We do. We do. Collectively, we've got to get up out of the gutter. I hope it's not a big old curb to step, step over. But, <laughs> you know, it. we need to think about this. We need to think about, and again, coming kind of full circle to the path we're on, how we're we're moving through the world, how we're impacting people around us, how we're thinking about people that think, act, look differently than us. Again, it's one of those things that just it sounds so simple, but we're having such a hard time with it. 
it's been a, a long journey, and we've developed uh, cultural habits that are strong. Uh, most people have developed some sympathy, some sympathies with uh, addictions, and we know uh, this is hard for people to throw off, right? So we understand that. Uh, if you've had difficulty with um, cigarette smoking, you know, this is hard to throw off. We understand that. We don't generally think in terms of history, though, that the very well-shared habit of being ignorant, right, of what our potentials are, how to actualize our best selves, right, in the face of conflict, that's a neglect, and it is habitual. So we have to have a sympathy with the fact that Generally speaking, around the world, we've neglected self-cultivation. Or rather, I should qualify that sage self-cultivation, bringing ourselves to our optimal selves, right? That's been neglected. Sympathy, we should hold for that. But those of us who have an opportunity to do better than that can play a, a dynamic role in evolution. So unto those to whom much is given, much is to be required. So if we can grow, we grow not simply for ourselves, but for the world. I, I, I want to leave mm -hmm. the listeners with a tip from you. I'm going to call it a tip or your best piece of advice or the one thing that people listening can do as a step towards sage self cultivation. Bless your heart, Marie. There's a, may I read your little piece here? Yes, please do. The following lines were found on the body of a slain soldier in World War I. So think of this. Someone put these lines on the body of a slain soldier. It says, Ye that have faith to look with fearless eyes beyond the tragedy of a world at strife, and know that out of death and night shall rise the dawn of ampler life. Rejoice. Whatever anguish rend the heart. Rejoice that God has given you the priceless dower to live in these great times and have your part in freedom's crowning hour. That ye may tell your children who see the light high in the heavens, their heritage to take. Tell them, I saw the powers of darkness take their flight. I saw the morning break. <laughs>